You are now listening to the May 1st broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, a sermon, and prayers after God's own heart. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with Story of Kings. Today, we have arrived at the last installment in the series of stories surrounding Hezekiah, the 13th king of Judah. The content of today's story can be found in 2 Kings chapter 20 and 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 to 33. It is a story that many of us may already be familiar with. It's the story about how his life was extended 15 years after he fell ill and was about to die. We will also consider how he lived his life afterwards. This particular story also appears in Isaiah chapters 38 and 39. Reading these additional chapters will supplement us in terms of understanding Hezekiah in his life more. We have already talked about how Hezekiah reformed Judah after he became king and how hard he worked to bring himself and his people to turn back to God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 27 to 30, tell us God recognized how Hezekiah and Judah returned to him and how he made them prosper. As such, Hezekiah lived in prosperity by trusting the word of God. One day, however, a personal affliction befell him. Boils broke out on his body and he became very sick. Prophet Isaiah delivered an ultimatum from God that he was about to die. At that, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to God. He was not ready to die yet. Here is verse 3 from 2 Kings chapter 20. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah prayed to God in earnest. In return, God answered Hezekiah's prayers through Isaiah. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add fifteen years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So God added 15 years to Hezekiah's life and promised that he would deliver Judah from Assyria. As a sign of the promise, God allowed Hezekiah to witness the miracle of reversing the sun's shadow back 10 steps 
As promised, Hezekiah was healed and he experienced God's grace once again and learned that God was alive in his life. Upon hearing the news of Hezekiah's recovery, the king of Babylon, Merodach Beladon, became curious as to how he recovered from a terminal illness. Merodach Beladon was also curious about what made Judah to become so strong. He sent letters and a present to Hezekiah through messengers. A delegation of messengers from Merodach Beladon was on a mission of discovery. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 verse 31 records that God left Hezekiah alone only to test him and to know all that was in his heart. God wanted to see if Hezekiah truly knew that it was God that made him prosper and healed him. Unfortunately, however, instead of witnessing to the messengers from Babylon that all were possible because of the living God, Hezekiah boasted openly by showing them around his palace and everything in his country as if everything that he was blessed with was from his own doing. At this boastful behavior, prophet Isaiah delivered God's word. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah had forgotten the grace of God and mistakenly thought that all the accomplishments were due to his own accord. God spoke then that Judah would be destroyed by Babylon and would become their captives. In the Bible, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah all suggest the story of Hezekiah's sickness and healing subsequent to the Assyrian attack. But according to theologians, the story we shared about Hezekiah's illness occurred before the Assyrian attack about which we shared last time. To recount the order of events, Hezekiah became ill between 704 and 703 B.C., and he was healed around 703 B.C. Merodach Beladon, king of Babylon, sent messengers to Hezekiah in 703 B.C. when he heard about Hezekiah's healing. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked Jerusalem about two years later in 701 B.C. This is the chronological order of events. As we shared, Hezekiah showed everything to the messengers from Babylon and proudly boasted his wealth and strength. Such an attitude surfaced again later when he tried to resolve the problem himself when Assyria attacked. He did not seek help from God when Assyria attacked, but instead he decided to pay tribute to Assyria on his own. He scraped the gold off the door of the house of the Lord and peeled off from the pillars the gold that had been overlaid. As we shared last time, even after receiving the tribute from Hezekiah, the Assyrian troops did not return to their own country. They attacked Jerusalem anyway. Then, finally, 
Hezekiah turned back to God and prayed. He realized that the only one who could save him was God, and Hezekiah acknowledged that. And he remembered God's promise from a few years ago when he became mortally ill, that God would heal him and deliver Judah from Assyria. In response to Hezekiah's prayer, God delivered Hezekiah and all of Judah from Assyria's hands as promised and showed them again that God was the faithful God who fulfilled promises. We should consider why the Bible did not list the events in chronological order. Hezekiah's reform, illness and healing, and Babylon's messenger's visit happening before Assyria's attack. Instead, the Bible records the Assyrian attack right after Hezekiah's reform, but before his illness and healing, and the Babylon messenger's subsequent visit. Different theologians have different explanations. Even the Bible does not explain the exact reason. While we do not know the exact reason, we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, that God left Hezekiah alone only to test him and to know all that was in his heart. And God subsequently rebuked Hezekiah for his self-absorbed act of showing everything to the messengers from Babylon. So, one theologian surmises that Hezekiah followed God's word as a means to an end he desired for him to prosper. He probably did not have complete trust in the Almighty God himself. Hezekiah's life makes us recall Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and to think what that verse might mean for our lives. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This concludes today's episode. We will continue on with the story of Kings next time. Have a blessed week. Paid the price
Next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Miter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Thessalonians Background and History. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians only compromise eight chapters, eight chapters of the Bible, but man, are they loaded. They are loaded with both theological as well as practical wisdom and uh, for everyday life. So I know you guys are going to be blessed. We are in for a real treat. We're going to be talking about topics like the return of the Lord, the Antichrist. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? You want to be encouraged beyond words? Come to church and we'll talk about the Antichrist Um, and uh, just practical uh, Christian living in an evil world. And so these books, they're short, but they're powerful. And I think you're really going to be blessed. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for this series and just getting into God's word today? Well, Father, Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. God, thank you that we can gather, that we can open your word, that we can feast on it. And Lord, we ask that you would allow your word to come alive to us today. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear, God, what you would have for us from your word today. Thank you for each person that is here, God. We bring our burdens, our worries, our stresses to you, God, and we lay them at the foot of the cross. We know that you care for us. So God, just right now, give us again those ears to hear from your word. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said with me, amen. Amen. So the letter of first Thessalonians is actually a very encouraging letter. That's why I put encouraged beyond words. Here's why. After planting the church in Thessalonica, persecution arose, which forced Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy to have to flee the city, to leave the city. When the time was right, Paul sent Timothy back to check on their progress. And here's the great news. You know what Timothy found? He found a church that was staying faithful. Isn't that good news? That's great news. 
It is great news. They found a church that was staying faithful. Remember, Paul always knew that whenever he left a city, wolves would come in, false teachers, false teachers, ravenous wolves that would destroy what he had built. And so that was a constant fear for him. But Timothy came back with a uh, just a wonderful, wonderful report. Now, in response to that good news, Paul penned this letter, 1 Thessalonians, which has a very encouraging tone to it, which means I know you're going to be encouraged as we go through it. Now, having a church in Thessalonica from a strategic standpoint was a big deal. And you want to know why? Here's why. It was the largest and most important city in the city in Macedonia. And so the Roman Empire, this isn't the Roman Empire, but you can see this would have been the Roman Empire. Well, anyway, Russia's up north, Spain's that way, and so on and so forth. But you can see it there. Um, It was the largest and most important city in the Roman province of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is modern. It's basically modern-day Greece. In the first century, the city was around 200,000 people strong. But here's what's so significant about it. It had an auto bond. It had an auto bond. In this regard, there was a famous road in ancient Rome, and it was known as the Ignatian Way. And it ran, um, it ran right through the city of Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, it ran right through the heart of the city. So they were on basically a super highway. They were located on a super highway. And that made this, from a strategic standpoint, this city a big deal. It made it a very big deal. Here's what one scholar had to say about it. He said this, It's impossible to overstress the importance of the arrival of Christianity in Thessalonica. If Christianity was settled there, it was bound to spread east along the Ignatian Road until Asia was conquered, and west until it stormed even the city of Rome. You know what's interesting about Thessalonica? Thessalonica is one of the few cities that the Apostle Paul visited that has existed continuously from his day to modern times. It still exists today. It's called Thessaloniki. So let's practice this. Thessaloniki. Thessalonica. Thessalonians. Yeah, it's called Thessaloniki today. Now, what's interesting, this city has played in a big part in world history. Um, It's so funny, as I was preparing this sermon, I was on YouTube, and there was a thing about the Ottoman Empire, the rise and fall of the Ottoman Empire, and it was like seven minutes long, and I'm like, I'm going to watch it. And so I, I'm, I nerd out that way sometimes, but I was watching it and Thessaloniki came into play. Here's what it said. And the, the city of Thessaloniki was conquered in 1387 by the Ottoman Turks, which was strategic and gave rise to the Ottoman Empire. What's interesting is that the Nazis actually captured it in 1941. Hitler did. They deported 60,000 Jews from there and killed them. It was tragic. But you can see it has played a significant part in world empires. It was in the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, Hitler conquered it. This city is significant. Thessaloniki today, you can go there, is the second largest city in Greece, and it has about one million people living there to this day. Now, here's the deal. God didn't need to have a church in Thessalonica to accomplish his purposes. He didn't need the Ignatian way. He didn't need Thessalonica. God could have bypassed the city altogether and have been just fine. But here's the deal. God in his mercy and for his own purposes chose to put a church in that city. And his chosen instrument to do that, it was the Apostle Paul. And you know what? This is the key, folks. Thessalonica would never be the same upon Paul's arrival. Thessalonica would never be the same Once Paul showed up on the scene, this one city was forever changed by one man in particular being used by the one true God. And here's the deal. I want to know why. I want to know why 
because I want what was true about the Apostle Paul in the first century to be true about me in the 21st century. And what do I mean when I say that? I want it to be said of me that the places where the Lord directs my feet in 2021 are not going to be the same upon my arrival. And I know that's the same for many of you. Let me ask you a question. Are the places that God sets your feet in 2021 going to be the same upon your arrival or are they not even going to know that you were there? Listen, I don't want to be the type of Christian that shows up on the scene and then disappears with no difference. Do you? You guys with me? You're still trying to pronounce Thessalonica in your head. (laughs) That's a tough one. But that's the point. I want to make a difference in this generation. Wherever God sets my feet, I want there to be an impact. And I know it's true for you. And it raises a simple yet significant question this morning. What was it about the Apostle Paul that made him such a game changer? What was it about this one man in the hands of the one true God that could impact any one city in the Roman Empire? Any. Doesn't matter where God led him. That city, whatever city that was, would never be the same. Why? Not surprisingly, the answer to that question is answered in Paul's planting of the church at Thessalonica. So today, I kind of feel like I baited and switched you. We're not going to be in the book of Thessalonians today. We're going to be in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Acts chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, because this is the backstory, the background to Paul planting this church, how he got there and how the impact was made. Amen? So church, it is my honor, my great honor to present to you the word of God this morning. Acts 17, it says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to, say it with me, Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city's authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What was true of those men in the first century, I want to be true of us in the 21st century, that we are a people that turns the world upside down. Amen? Are you with me? Do you want that for yourself? Do you want the places that God sets your feet in 2021 to never be the same upon your arrival? I want people to be afraid when we show up. They're going, those people that have turned the world upside down, they're at our door. They're knocking on our door. Those crazy Christians that are on fire for the Lord, they're here. They're the type of Christians that know how to pronounce the word Thessalonians. And they're at our door. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are acting against the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. 
And the people, of the, uh, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money, taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, the, Berean, the noble Bereans. Church, it's my honor to present to you the word of God today. So, One of the biggest reasons why this city was never the same upon Paul's arrival is one of the most obvious. And you want to know what it was? He showed up. He showed up. More specifically, this, he was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who in their right mind gives up everything to undertake that which will gain them next to nothing? I'll tell you who. A man with a mission burning in his heart. That's who. Paul was driven by a mission that was clear in his mind. It burned in his heart and it drove him in all that he did. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, listen very carefully. Believers who have a mission burning in their heart are the Christians that will make a difference. And not just believers who have any mission burning in their heart, but believers on a mission being driven by eternal priorities. Listen, there are plenty of Christians in this country and around the world who are on a mission to make money. They're on a mission to make a name for themselves. They're on a mission to build a comfortable life for themselves. They're on a a mission to fix the government or turn things around in our country. But believers who are on a mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples and impact people for Christ, these are the ones who make an eternal difference. These are the type of people that no matter where God sets their feet, those places are never the same again. The question this morning is, do you want to be one of those people that no matter where God sets your feet in 2021, those people that you meet and those places that you arrive will never be the same again? I hope so. I hope you want that for yourself. I want it for myself. I want what's true of the men in the first century to be true of me in this century. I don't want to be the type of Christian that walks into someone's house, walks into someone's city and leaves and nobody knows that I was really there. I just don't. During his lifetime, Paul sent out on three significant missionary journeys. Four, if you count when he appealed to Caesar and went to Rome. And that may not seem like a lot. It's not a very large number, three missionary journeys. But remember, Paul did not have planes, trains, and automobiles. He had horses, boats, and his own two feet. That's what he had. Listen, the thought of getting on a plane and traveling to the other side of the world or some other place is taxing enough. How many of you hate flying as much as I do? Yeah, it's like, oh, I got to fly there? Yeah, imagine if there were no planes or trains or automobiles. Imagine taking a horse or walking on your feet everywhere you had to go. Each trip would have been extremely physically taxing, also incredibly time-consuming. It's hard enough to go, I'm going to go on a mission trip for a week or two. Man, that's going to chew up a lot of my time. How about two months? How about two years? It was on Paul's second missionary journey, by the way, that he ended up in Thessalonica. One could only begin to imagine the impact that Paul could have had had he lived in this century with the resources that you and I have at our disposal. Now listen, I know if Paul were here today, he would tell us this for sure. Here's what he'd say. There was nothing convenient or comfortable about what I did in the first century. There was nothing convenient or comfortable about what I did in the first century. Do you want to know how far Jerusalem it is from Jerusalem to Thessalonica? How many miles? 
in your mind, just come up with a number. Come up with a number. How many miles do you think it is from Jerusalem to Thessalonica? If you guessed 1,539, you win. Anybody close to that number? Okay, a few of you. That's good. Good for you. How many of you were nowhere near that number? <laughs> Some of you are like, 20,000 miles? I don't know. Now listen, 1,539 miles by today's standards doesn't seem all that far. It just doesn't. But even still, if you were to drive that, it would take you 29 hours if you drove nonstop without ever stopping once. 29 hours if you drove nonstop without ever stopping once. Of course, if you stop for gas and you stop to sleep and all those other things, it'll be a lot longer. But here's what's so sad. You want to know what's so sad about that number, 29 29 hours to drive from Jerusalem to Thessalonica? Here's what's so sad about that. Just the thought of having to drive 29 hours is more than enough to discourage me. And don't judge me because you all feel the same way. How many of you hate driving as much as I do? Oh my gosh, I can drive. I can barely make it from here to LA. Six hours. It's like I have to prepare myself a month ahead of time because I'm going to be tortured because I've got to sit for six hours and drive. Some of you love driving and that's no big deal, but I'm not even kidding. The thought of having to drive 29 miles is more than enough to discourage me. I know Jesus loves those people, but they're 29 hours away by car. Let someone else reach them. The apostle Paul did not have a car. He did not have a train. He did not have a plane. And he gladly undertook this journey without second thought. Wow. Do you want to know why the places he went were never the same upon his arrival? Because he had a fire burning in him that would allow him to cross land and sea at great turmoil and great expense to him. Listen, folks, just like the Apostle Paul, those believers who are living in the 21st century, you and me, we must be willing to do that, that which is inconvenient and uncomfortable. Those of us who are willing to do that, we will forever impact the places God leads us. Romans, Paul says this in Romans, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycurium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition, my ambition, my mission to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Listen, folks, Paul's mission burned so brightly in his heart with to such a degree that he wanted to be the first one to reach people with the gospel so that he wouldn't be building on someone else's ministry. That's crazy. I'm just the opposite. I'm like, you go first and do all the hard work, then I'll show up. Amen? Yeah. Don't judge me. I see you guys looking at me going, gosh, he's not really a Christian. I, listen, I'm like, you go do the hard work, I'll show up. Paul's just the opposite. He's like, I want to be the first one there. I want to be the first one to name the name of Christ. You want to know why wherever God set this man's feet, it was never the same? Here's why. The mission that burned, the ambition that burned in him to advance the kingdom, it consumed him from the inside out. Do you want to be a Christian in 2021 that wherever God sets your feet, that place is never the same again? I hope so. It's no wonder the cities that God directed Paul were never the same. How could they not be? He was a man on a mission. It was clear in his mind. It burned in his heart, and it drove him in all that he did. Hudson Taylor, the great Hudson Taylor, said this, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Matthew 28, 18. Therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. Folks, Matthew 28, 18 onward is not for you to consider. 
It's not for me to consider. It is a command to obey. As Christians, listen, you and I are to go all in, in that one, on the one kingdom that's going to outlast all other kingdoms. Listen, all of us right now are keeping an eye on what's happening in the United States. And for many of us, our hearts are breaking. We're nervous. We're anxious. What's going to happen? Folks, as long as you're looking at the kingdoms of this world, that's where your heart's going to be. But if you go in, all in on the one kingdom that will last forever, if you let that fire burn within you, you will turn this world upside down. Your reputation will go before you such that they'll say, those people who turn the world upside down, they're at our front door. Those Christians that know how to pronounce the word, there you go. I think this half has it a little bit better than this half. You guys might need to step up the game over here. Folks, once God's kingdom consumes us from the inside out, every door you walk through, every threshold you cross, every city you enter will never be the same upon your arrival. So I have one simple question for you this morning, and here it is. What's burning in your heart right now? When you came in today, when you tuned in online, what's burning in your heart? Is it the things of this world, the people of this world, the kingdoms of this world, or is it the kingdom of God? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What is burning in your heart today? Folks, if your heart isn't where it should be today, ask God to light a fire in it. God, light a fire in my heart that burns bright for you, for your gospel, for your kingdom. Because when he does, you know what will happen? You'll never be the same, nor will the places God sets your feet. Nor will the places God sets your feet. You want to know what's interesting about the Apostle Paul? He was not only very, very smart. We know he was very, very smart. He was also pretty darn clever. And the reason I say that is, in our passage today, one of the things that jumps out to me is that Paul had a clear method to his madness. He knew exactly what he was doing every step of the way. Let me prove it to you. That Paul had a method to his madness was clear from the fact that Paul apparently sought out cities that were big enough to have a synagogue in them, okay? Just like the city of Thessalonica. And upon arriving in that city, he would go straight into the synagogue, And that is probably one of the reasons in Acts it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. There's a reason he passed through those other cities. He passed through them strategically. He was a man that had a method to his madness. He sought out those cities that were big enough to have a, a synagogue, and he went straight into that synagogue and proclaimed the gospel. Now, I want you to notice something. And Paul went in as was his custom, as was his custom, which means he had done this before. He had figured out a method that was effective, a method that no doubt he refined over time. By going straight into the synagogue, Paul strategically played to his personal strengths. He went where he would have the best opportunity to make the biggest impact. And just like Paul, we would be wise to have a method to our madness as we try to reach those in our generation. But here's what's really interesting. Really going to be freeing for many of you sitting in here today. As believers, the method to our madness won't always be the same. The method to our madness won't always be the same, and that's okay. Not everyone is wired to go into the synagogue and preach to people. How many of you are the type that can go into a big room, stand up in front of people, and just start talking? And some of you are wired that way. How many of you are wired that way? Very few, but they're here. Number one fear in the world, speaking in front of audiences. 
How many of you could never do that? Yeah, here's the deal. Not everyone is wired to go in a synagogue like Paul. As a matter of fact, we don't want to all have the same method to our madness or we'll be tripping over ourselves trying to reach the same people, won't we? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We all have different gifts, different talents, different abilities. And so the method to our madness won't always look the same. I'm going to tell you one of the things that plagues Christians because it plagues me. I look at what other Christians are doing and I feel guilty that I'm not doing that. You ever felt that way? Oh yeah. And I marvel at what some of you are doing. Most of you are doing. I'm not, all of you are doing. I'm just going, how can they do that? I would never do that. I'm not wired, wired to do that. So their madness, I couldn't do that. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. God has wired us all different. He's given us different gifts, different passions. Our hearts burn for different things. We have different experiences that we have grown up with that make us good at certain things and not so good at other things. Here's the important thing is that you are taking those gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to you and figuring out the best method to put them to work to impact this world in the 21st century. Amen? Amen. I hope that's what you want for yourselves. Listen, you do not want God to set your feet in this generation and have no impact in this generation. 2021 lies before us. Every single person in this room is going to be directed somewhere. Do you understand that? God's going to direct your feet somewhere. The question is, is that somewhere never ever going to be the same upon your arrival? Or are you going to come and go and they weren't even know, didn't even know you were there? Of this you can be certain. A man or a woman without a method to their madness is a man or a woman who will be marred in mediocrity. You know who you are. You know what you're good at. Use it for the Lord. Stop making excuses. Get out there and make a difference while you can. Jesus had a method to his madness. He certainly did. He knew exactly what he was doing every step of the way. He deliberately chose 12 disciples. He consciously went to certain cities. He strategically stayed on a set timeline. Everyone in his family was trying to get him, you do this, do this. And he goes, no, you do. Th I'm on the father's timeline. He purposely performed specific miracles. Again, the important thing is, folks, is not that you're doing what everyone else is doing, is that you're doing something. Figuring out the best method for you to impact this generation. By the way, Paul's method was really twofold. He strategically sought out those cities that had a synagogue and played to his strengths and went right into them. But when he got there, what did he do? The Bible says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Listen, folks, our gifts might be different, but our gospel's the same, is it not? Our gifts might be different, but our gospel's the same. So in one sense, the method to our madness is not going to look like anyone else's. You're wired a certain way, given certain gifts, you have certain experiences. The method to your madness is going to be unique in the body of Christ. But on the other hand, the, the method to our madness, all of us, is going to be the same in a sense. We have different gifts, but we preach the same gospel. We have different gifts, but we preach the same gospel. We preach the same gospel. And this is really the difference maker, guys. Paul didn't try to be funny. He didn't try to be witty. He didn't resort to worldly reasoning or techniques. Paul's method was simple. He opened the scriptures and pointed people to Christ. And folks, it doesn't matter if you're the type of person who is better suited to reach people in a synagogue or a supermarket. If you will faithfully point people to Christ 
whoever you encounter and wherever God leads you, those people and those places will never be the same upon your arrival. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You know, many of us here, here's another faulty way that Christians think. I just told you we often look at what other people are doing and go, why am I not doing that? Here's another faulty way that we think. We think, I have to know the answer to everything before I talk to anyone. I need to know everything about every subject that exists out there before I can talk to anyone just because I need to be able to answer questions. No, you don't. You need to do one thing and do one thing well. Preach the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Can you tell people that the sinless son of God came into the world to die for the sins of men? Can you do that? Can you tell them that he died on a cross and rose again? Can you do that? Can you tell them that he ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father and is coming to judge the quick and the dead? Can you tell them that? Folks, if you can do that, you can be the type of person that no matter where God sets your feet in 2021, that place will never be the same. That's all you need to know. I guarantee it. It's what we as Christians call the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Many Christians believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. It is without error, but they don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And what I mean by that is we got to believe what the Bible says is true and live our lives like it is true. And so when the Bible says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, either I believe that or I don't. And either I'm going to live my life based upon that truth or I'm not. Am I going to get worried? I got to know everything about everything before I talk to anyone. No, I need to preach the gospel. How I, where I get to and how I get there, that might be unique. But when I get there, the method to my madness should be the same as the method to your madness. I preach Jesus Christ crucified and risen, the savior of the world. Amen. If you're bold and you'll do that, I guarantee you, Every place God sets your feet will never be the same. I'm telling you, believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Some of you have family members. Others of you, God has led you to people and places that are stubborn and obstinate towards the gospel. And you're sitting here going, well, what crazy plan can I come up with? Or what facts can I come up with that will convince them? Just keep preaching the gospel to them. Let them go home at night and know that the sinless Son of God came into the world to die for them. Let them go to sleep at night knowing that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father coming to judge them. Let them fall asleep with that on their mind and watch what happens. Believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Believe in the power of the gospel. I'm just telling you. Many of you have children, grandchildren. You're wondering, how do I reach them? You're in their life for a reason. God has led you to them. He didn't lead me there. The method to your madness is going to lead you to different people than, than I'm going to be led to. Folks, you don't have to be clever, witty. You don't have to come up with some crazy scheme. You pray for them and you preach to them and watch the word of God go to work. That's why Paul, when writing to Timothy, he said this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, say it with me, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There it is, folks. Do you want to know why Paul was the type of man that wherever God set his feet, it was never the same again? Here's why. He was a man on a mission that had a method to his madness. That was it. That's it. He was a man on a mission who had a method to his madness, and he turned the Roman Empire on its head. 
Listen, I can literally say the city of Thessalonica didn't stand a chance upon his arrival. Listen, the empire of Rome didn't stand a chance with Paul in it. He was going to turn, and he did turn that place upside down. Listen, folks, I got news for you. You are far more educated than the apostle Paul ever could have imagined to be. I hate to say it, but you are. And you have far more resources at your disposal. Many of us say, here's another faulty way that we as Christians think. You want to know? Here's another faulty way. We look at the people in the Bible, the men in the Bible, the women in the Bible, and we go, there was something special about them that I don't have. I'm sorry. Do you have that same gospel as they did? Yes. Do you have the same Holy Spirit as they did? Yes. What's amazing is God did not set Paul's feet in the 21st century, nor did he set Hudson Taylor's feet here. He set your feet here. You're here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. Will you be the type of person that we're, no matter where God leads you in 2021, that place will never be the same? Well, that's yet to be told. That's yet to play out. But folks, it's going to play out quickly. It's going to play out today. As you go home, as you go to the different places you're going to go today, it's going to play out tomorrow. It's going to play out every day in 2021. The question will be, will you be that type of Christian that impacts every place you go? God will lead us all to different places, different spaces, but it's yet to be told the impact that we'll make. If one man with next to no resources could transform city after city throughout the Roman Empire, what can't God do with you and me in this century? What can't God do with you and me today? On that note, I finished with a simple question, guys. Will the places God leads you in 2021, the places he sets your feet in 2021, be impacted to us never to be the same again? I hope so. I hope so. Could you imagine what the impact Arizona would have if just the people in this room impacted the places they went like Paul did in the first century. This state doesn't stand a chance. This country wouldn't stand a chance. Amen? Let's pray. Pray with me. Well, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, God, as we get into this book of Thessalonians. God, that you took one man and God, you transformed this one city. He was a man that had a mission burning in his heart, God, and he used his gifts to serve you. God would enter this year with the hope and the expectation of impacting the the places and spaces you lead us. God, wherever our feet land in this upcoming year, may it be impacted on a level that we can scarcely comprehend. God, may we far be it from us to be the type of Christians that enter a door, cross a threshold, enter a city and make no difference. God, may that not be true. God, light a fire in our hearts today. And God, make us anxious to use the gifts that you have graciously given to us. Help us not to look around and to judge ourselves based upon what other people are doing. God, you have made us to be who we are and put us where we are for a reason. Help us to be faithful in that. And so we love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said with me, amen. God bless you guys.
A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night The music of the universe plays We're singing Listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, 
we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. The following program is called Prayers After God's Own Heart. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministry listeners. This is Terry with Prayers After God's Own Heart. One of the very popular gospel songs is titled Thanks to God. It goes like this Thanks to God for my Redeemer. Thanks for all Thou dost provide. When I first heard this song, I was deeply moved at a certain section of the lyric. It was a section in the second verse. The second verse of the song starts like this. Thanks for prayers that Thou hast answered. Thanks for that Thou dost deny. Thanks for storms that I have weathered. Thanks for all Thou dost supply. When I first heard this lyric, it was literally shocking. It is apparent and obvious that we thank God for answering our prayers. But how can we confess and give thanks for the prayers that God did not grant? I contemplated if I could give such confession in my life. As time passed, I hoped that my faith would grow so I can give such a confession. Actually, when I look back at my life, I don't think I of today as I am would exist if God granted every one of my prayer requests I made during my lifetime. I think my life could have been a big mess. Perhaps I could have left God and could have lived a life without God at all. Therefore, I also can confess that I thank God for answering my prayers, but also thank God for not granting some of my prayers. Today, we are going to share the prayer of someone in the Bible whose prayer was not granted, but still thank God for not granting his prayer. It is Apostle Paul's prayer. As we all know well, Apostle Paul had thorn in the flesh. Theologians have different opinions on what the thorn in the flesh exactly was. But it is not important to know what exactly his thorn in the flesh was. What is important is that the thorn was Satan's messenger and it caused Paul a great torment. So, Paul prayed to God desperately three times to remove this thorn in the flesh that caused him pain and prevented him from doing his work. Paul had the might of prayer that healed other people's sickness or pain and even cast out evil spirits. Paul desperately prayed for himself this time. What do you think God's answer to him was? Here is how God answered Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7-10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had the wondrous strength of prayer. He healed the sick. He freed people who were possessed of evil spirits. He even raised someone from the dead. Though he had such a powerful life of prayer, when he prayed to God to remove his thorn in the flesh, God did not grant his prayer and answered his request by saying, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul prayed desperately, Lord, please remove this thorn in the flesh, then I will be able to focus more on your work. But then the Lord answered him, No, it'll be okay. You don't need to have that thorn removed because my grace for you is sufficient. How does God's answer to Paul feel to you? The part where he said, My grace is sufficient to you. When I first read this part, I did not read the whole passage and interpreted God's answer on my own feeling like this. It felt as if God was telling him, Paul, the grace I gave you is already enough. Why do you want more? So I thought Paul was thankful and responded, Ah, that's right. The Lord already saved me and granted me many things. Why am I asking for more? Yes, I understand God. But as I read this passage over several times, I realized I was misunderstanding it. After God said, My grace is sufficient for you, He explained what He meant. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God is telling us that His might shines brighter in weak places. When people are full of energy, we miss seeing God and only see our own strength, rely on it, and boast about it. Then we put ourselves on the throne of self-pride. In the Bible, God revealed His wondrous might when His people were in helpless situations and could not do anything for themselves. God allowed Sarah to become pregnant though she was old and past her childbearing years. God parted the Red Sea when Israel was trapped between the sea and the Egyptian soldiers. He gave victory to Gideon and 300 soldiers against the Eastern Allied Army of 125,000 soldiers. When several hundred thousand soldiers came to attack Jerusalem, God sent His angel for Hezekiah and Israel, who did not dare fight back and struck down 185,000 enemy soldiers. The Bible is full of many stories in which God showed His power is made perfect in the midst of our weakness. That is why God answered Paul, Because my power is revealed perfectly in your weakness, the thorn in the flesh is your precious grace that will rather impose my strength on you. When Paul realized God's answer, he rejoiced and started boasting in his weakness because he realized that the power of Christ resided in his weakness and revealed through him. The Apostle Paul confessed that having difficulty in him, so the power of Jesus Christ dwelling within him, was more joyful than having his difficulty removed and having no weakness. That is why he was able to thank God for not granting his prayer. That is why his prayer was a prayer after God's own heart. How about you? Do you prefer situations in which there are no problems at all, so you do not need the Lord? Or situations in which some problems remain, so they remind you that you need the Lord all the time? Can you confess that you can also give thanks to God when He says no to your prayers and not yes? 
Can you confess that his answering no is for our goodness? If we truly believe God's sovereignty, we will be able to give thanks and be happy for unanswered prayers. I hope we will continue to grow and be able to give prayers after God's own heart. My desire is that we will be able to understand God's will for our life and that we will thank Him always. This concludes today's episode of Prayers After God's Own Heart. See you next time. Have a blessed week. Thanks to God for my Redeemer. Thanks for all Thou dost provide. Thanks for times now but a memory. Thanks for Jesus by my side. Thanks for pleasant balmy springtime. Thanks for dark and dreary fall. Thanks for tears by now forgotten. Thanks for peace within my soul. Thanks for prayers that Thou hast answered. Thanks for what Thou dost deny. Thanks for storms that I have weathered. Thanks for all Thou dost supply. Thanks for pain and thanks for pleasure. Thanks for comfort in this We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.